A vision without execution is just a dream. Welcome to Transformative Experts with Chris Elias. Like the show title says, Chris speaks with transformative experts and business leaders who share their successes, failures, and leadership tips that will help you transform your business into a success story. Now, here's your host, Chris Elias. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Transformative Experts. Um, We're going to have a fun interview today. we have fun interviews all the time, but today in particular, Andrew Kim. Uh, Andrew Kim is the author of a book that I've really enjoyed, Culture for the Left Brain Leader. Uh, that's something we don't always think about. You know, we, we, you know, those of us who are more right brain and creative, you know, we just run on the fly. But 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 a lot of a lot of our leaders are left brain. It's 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 a wonderful read. So I'm 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 looking forward to it. But he's not just an author. He's also got his own company, his own business. He does some consulting, does some coaching, does a lot of good things. Welcome, Andrew. Glad to have you with us today. Thanks for having me, Chris. I, I appreciate the opportunity to share both my story and some thoughts. Yeah, excellent. Yeah, and, and I, I do think that this will be a, a very on-point topic for our, for our um, listeners. So in any event, you know, you know the routine. We've talked about this. You know, our listeners know this. We always like to start it with a little bit of personal history, right? People don't become experts overnight. And so your path to how you got here, I want to spend a little time because I think it's an, it's an interesting story and, and let's share it. So, you know, this is the tell me your life story question. How, how, does, how does somebody become an expert um, and what was the path in becoming the expert for uh, talking about lo- culture for the left brain person? Sure, absolutely. Well, as the title of the book uh, implies, I'm a natural left brain leader. And a left brain, pretty much a summary for that word, is someone who tends to see the world by systems, processes, data. They're the type of person who likes to make sense of things. And when things don't make sense, it bothers them. And at the same time, that's how they keep their world together. I suppose I've always been like that, Chris. Ever since I was young, it was both my strength and my quirks. I was good at math. I was good at science. Perhaps in areas of the arts, in literature and writing, perhaps I had to put a little bit more effort into those topics. That's where you and I are similar. That Those creative writing assignments were always tough, weren't they? Yeah, they, they always were for a little bit. <laughs> and I suppose the fact that I was always like that kind of drew me towards more of a left brain pathway of education. I'm a periodontist and MBA by training. And even during my MBA training, I specialized more in finance and strategy. And I suppose my initial journey into leadership was in entrepreneurship. And naturally, when someone is a left-brain individual, or at least leans towards that direction, I don't think anyone's completely one or the other. There's always a certain degree of balance. What they tend to do is look at all the best processes out there. They look at both industry-specific ones, And I remember what I did was I also looked at processes outside my industry in order to amalgamate what the best ones were. And it worked well in the beginning, Chris. It did. It helped us get an initial growth. But what tends to happen is that after you achieve that rapidly growing situation, you want to scale some more. Uh Now, here's the thing. When I've come to learn about scaling, the more you scale, the more you try to scale, the less you can actually have your eyes on everything. Yes, that's very true. That is, yes, yes. I had to learn that the hard way because what I've come to learn is any system or process that you introduce, guess what? You're the one who has to maintain it all as well too, both the monitoring the data, both in terms of quality assurance and feedbacking. It almost got me to a situation where so much was going on that it almost all came crashing down on me. Because when you try to grow, your ex- your expenses go up as well too. Your operating expenses. And at the same time, you're trying to meet an increased demand and, and the demand needs to come in at the same time. Now, if all that doesn't come together, what happens is you can start losing resonance with customers. You also start losing residence with your employees as well. Because so, 
Yes. So what were I? I'm just curious. You know, you know, mm-hmm. share a story or two. What was actually happening? So was this was this learning going on when you were in your periodontal practice? Well, I suppose what I what I was trying to do was I was trying to grow, have an additional amount of providers. At the same time, there's more insurance going yeah. on and more in more um, interactions between both my employees and and um, and patients or customers, if you will, you can't monitor everything. And one thing I've come to learn about anything that had, that relies heavily on customer service is that you need to have, you need to have the employees engaged in the situation to deliver the same type of care that you want, that represents what you envisioned for your office or your business. So was it that, um, was it that, that you found that, that employees weren't delivering the level of care that you were, you were delivering that, that you were trying to systematize or what was the, what was the real red flag for you? The real red flag was pretty much, I didn't, I didn't see the, both the heart, the right brain and some, and if you will, the soul component of the business. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because the thing is, is this if you approach everything with systems and processes and i'm not saying that they're not important i still believe they're very important however what i'm trying to say is it's not enough so pretty much if the employees are not bought in into both the culture and the vision of the organization they don't represent represent the same amount of care okay because at least going back to my initial industry Clinical care is not just the clinical things. It's also all the little things that build up to the experience, both from the front desk, hello, from the waiting room, from being brought back, having consistency within the team uh, in terms of passing down the information from any x-rays or whatnot into the follow-up with the insurance billing aspect, it all comes together and makes the same experience. I try to control all of that with systems and processes alone. And so, I've come to realize you can't. Yeah, so what kind of, I mean, so how, how did you try to systematize that? Because because you're right. I mean, customer yeah. service is a hard thing to systematize. I mean, it does take a little something a heart, right? So, so, you know, tell me some of the things you were trying to systematize at that, that part point that were failing for you. Oh, well, I mean, some of the things worked in the very beginning, but at a certain point it couldn't, let's just take one thing for instance. Okay. Something that perhaps even those outside my industry may relate to. Let's just take, for instance, the customer service in terms of the phones, for instance. Mm-hmm. Okay. I created scripts for everything, for scenarios. You know, if someone says this, you say it, you say A. If someone says this other thing, you say B. It took the heart and soul out of everything and became extremely mechanical, yeah. even though it was designed in order to optimize um, service and quality. I find that it actually got in the way of people's self-expression. At the same time, it didn't give much wiggle room for developing other people and coaching them. So I realized that guidance is more important. And at the same time, and we'll probably talk about it throughout the conversation, is even how we design and look at our processes, less so that it's overwhelming and detailed and and considers every single permutation out there, Mm -hmm. something in the lines that's more user-friendly and provides guidance so that they can make um, situational judgment calls, which allows for their development, their engagement, which also enriches the relationships within the company, and so that the overall experience can be worked on. Yeah, you know, it, it, the example you shared is such is really a great example because you know, even in in my career and working with all the companies, it's amazing how often I come across. Um, places that that do try to systematize different parts of customer service. I have seen the scripts, and you know, you know, for any of our listeners, for for anyone, if you've ever had somebody on the other side of the phone that you know was reading a script, you, you know how you feel. I mean, none of the none of the human touch comes through in those moments. 
And absolutely, and my industry was very is very dependent on the customer service aspect. And I've also come to realize that many other industries also um, that depend on the customer service for differentiation really really need to look at the overall culture of their organization in order to get that together. Rules, policies, scripts. Steps, detailed, tens of pages, some even over a hundred pages of instructions may, may not work as well as they used to. So I remember I was in that situation where I tried to do everything based upon that. It becomes too much to bear at once. And I still remember where, where, where I was in the green, all of a sudden trying to grow and scale, and then now I'm in the red because with the increased amount of operating expenses, the challenges in uh, in terms of maintaining resonance with both my employees and my cus- customers or patients, and ended up bleeding tens of thousands a month. I still remember that situation where yeah. I had to confess my situation to my wife because I didn't know when that was going to end. And it really took a paradigm shift of how I saw things to really flip the situation around. At first, I tried to plug everything with more systems and processes within the gaps that were forming, not realizing I was was not really helping the situation. It really took a culture transformation to flip my situation around. To break past that plateau, what to restore the, the quality. Oh yes, yeah. So, so just sorry, but I, you know, you, I want to catch you on this one thought. What do you think yeah. was the what was the catalyst for change? Because it's it's funny, but I mean, I I know a lot of left brain people. I think of myself probably more on the left brain side than the right mm-hmm. brain, though. I think I've got a lot of right. Um, but I've seen people who will who even bleeding thousands and thousands of dollars will remain oblivious because they're so process focused. They're, they're so driven a a certain way that they can't get out of their own way. Uh, What, what for you was, was that aha moment? I mean, it it wasn't just the the bleeding of the money and trying to figure out how to turn around. You could have over systematized things. What actually caused you to step back and say, wait a second, maybe there's something else. Maybe there's something on this creative side. I haven't done. What, what what woke you? Oh, absolutely. Well, first of all, it wasn't when I first started bleeding. When I first started bleeding, I was oh, I was systematizing things even more. In fact, I think I did have to go through that, unfortunately, to try out everything that I thought would work. After a certain point, after you've really exhausted all your ideas, your efforts, your mind starts becoming opening up to alternative ideas. I hit that brick wall and it was painful. It was very painful, Chris. At that point, ideas that I brushed aside as irrelevant, I started listening to it more. In fact, I was working with a coach slash consultant at that point, and he was trying to get me to reassess things in the ter- in terms of management and leadership the word culture was not thrown around it was through management and leadership what uh, what year was this just to give a, a get, kind of put a baseline to it best guess 2018 yeah, i would okay. say so it wasn't yeah. it wasn't too far in the past but yeah so mm-hmm. so it's funny that so so you 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 had somebody come and kind of open your eyes is what I'm hearing. You had a coach or somebody that was helping you see the path. You actually sought out some help. Uh, Yes, I did. I also um, sought out different um, ideas in terms of, in terms of um, seminars. And basically I was recommended to look at things from again, the right brain aspects, management and leadership. Now, I didn't accept it right off the bat, Chris. Sure. I didn't. And even as I was starting to approach things in that manner, I didn't believe that it was really going to do much. But at that point, I was in a situation, what the heck? I've tried everything else that I could. Let's give this a roll and see what happens. And how uncomfortable (laughs) was that? It was extremely uncomfortable because number one, I'm doing these things. 
I, sometimes it feels like you're opening up the floodgate more than yeah. anything else. Yeah. And not only that, um, you don't see the results right away. Uh, this is a long-term effort in which case eventually through, uh, through discipline, through consistency, through a leap of faith, through repetition, where eventually hits a critical mass where things flip around, where you start realizing that people have more ownership, where the problems that you used to have don't appear anymore, that you're actually hitting both the quality of service and financial objectives with, with, without as much effort as you need it. Yeah. There's yeah. no flipping point where you look back and think, hey, where you do this study or measurement where you, you realize that everything's working. It's just when you take a step back with some introspection and realize, wait a minute, I'm in a very different situation from my, where I used to be. Yeah. It, How it, did that happen? <laughs> it, it does. It does kind of come on you when you start going down that path. And I want to explore that a little bit further. So we're already up on our first break. So uh, stay tuned, everyone. We're going to be back in just, just a couple of minutes, and we're going to continue our conversation with Andrew Kim. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. True results happen where culture meets execution. The Execution Culture, co-written by our host, Chris Elias, is designed to make your company smarter, faster, and stronger by sharing real-world advice on culture, leadership, and execution. It's time to transform your business with the help of The Execution Culture. The book is available now on Amazon. Click the link on the show page. Is your company or team struggling to achieve the results you would like? Optimize your life, your team, and your organization through clarity, purpose, and action. At Mexicute, we have over 100 years of combined experience leading organizations and coaching individuals to achieve their vision. We design a customized approach to ensure successful execution and optimize your results. Connect better. Grow better. For a free consultation with Chris Elias, visit nexecutegroup.com. That's N-E-X-E-C-U-T-E group.com. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. This is Transformative Experts with Chris Elias. If you have a question or a comment about the show, please send an email to listener at transformativeexperts.com. Now, back to Transformative Experts. And we're back with Andrew Kim. And Andrew, just before we went to the break, you were talking about how it, it th- made some things easier. And one of the things that, that, that I've learned through the years... Um, especially with entrepreneurs, they sometimes become their own worst enemy, right? They, they become the roadblock. There is this point at which there's a lot of models that we've utilized and, and a lot that we talk about that, 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 that really show, and there's even statistics and data for our left brain people that show that there's that point in time where the leader, when they maintain control of every aspect, they become the bottleneck to growth. There's only so much that one person can do. There's only so much that one person can control, and that's the story that you're sharing. And that moment that um, that allows them to start delegating to others, bringing others into the fold, letting go of every decision, um, becoming more of a leader as opposed to a controlling manager, that's when companies transition. And it sounds like that's kind of one of the, that, that was one of the, uh, the catalyst points that you went through in order to make this change. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it is regrettable that I had to go through such an experience for my mind to open up, but it was required. And, and I do encourage um, our, our audience members, if we haven't experienced that quite yet, perhaps be, become 
open to such ideas before it becomes a life or death situation. I think it would have been a lot less of a stressful situation <laughs> if I did it in that manner. And there is a possibility that if we hit that life or death situation, there's a possibility it might be too late yeah. because it doesn't happen overnight. Some reasons why it might not be a bad idea to open up your mind before uh before you hit that do or die moment. It's funny. There's a, there's a line in an Ernest Hemingway book. I think it was, um, gosh, this is where I, I get terrible with titles and stuff. The old man of the sea or, 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 you know, one, one of the great Hemingway books. And there's this conversation where he's talking with somebody at a bar and, and he asked the question, something to the effect of, well, how did you go bankrupt? How did you fail? And the guy said, well, slowly at first and then suddenly, Right. And mm-hmm. it, it's such an amazing insight because it does kind of it does kind of come on if you're not aware of it. And then all of a sudden, the, the accelerated fail, the path to failure can can hit you like a ton of bricks. Um, so yes. it's a very good call out. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And basically, when I went through all that, that's when I had a desire to share this know how, share this set of knowledge or wisdom to other leaders and um, and or business owners, perhaps perhaps we can bridge people to become open to such ideas and at the same time a guide folks in order to make such realizations in order to prevent that painful moment, but at the same time continuously grow in a manner that they they dream of. And I remember that um, especially for left brain folks, they want things organized. So pretty much what I did was I reverse engineered uh, pretty much what I had gone through uh, in terms of MBA style systems in a way that makes sense so that some a left brain leader can make their own realizations as, as they either read the, read the book or, or have their mind open to such concepts oh, if I want to actually employ such techniques, I might actually have to adapt my approach with people. <laughs> it's, it's almost a self-guided process. <laughs> yeah, it's really funny. So you're, you're, you're taking something that's art and you're turning it to science, which is not an easy thing to do because there's still, there's still an art component. I mean, you, you, no, no matter what, you have to let go. So you're trying to utilize science to tell them that they have to be artists. Absolutely. But one thing I have noticed, at least for left brain folks, is if they can see the pathway and, and understand where the risks and benefits are in terms of what to watch out for and what to try to capitalize on, they can plug in the dots as they do things and what to watch out for. And then that's when they make um, self-realizations. Wait a minute. If, if I want to do this next step, there is a vulnerability component. There is a way of how I communicate this that really matters. So yeah. absolutely. When, I, when the pathway is visible to them, I've noticed that those who haven't been open to such ideas do become open. Yeah, absolutely. So now, you know, I'm curious about one other thing then. So a few minutes ago, uh, before we went to the break, you, you, you mentioned, you know, talking and working with a coach and you said the word culture wasn't even in our vocabulary. And yet it's the first word in the title of your book. When did your mind start shifting and when did you realize it's, it's a culture thing? And how, how do you define culture? We all have different definitions, but how do you define culture when you look at it organizationally for that left brain? Absolutely. It was actually when I took a step back, when things were humming and moving along nicer, when I, where I took a step back and tried to understand what really happened during this transformation. And after really thinking about it, after putting all the pieces together, that's when I realized it was the culture that we moved the needle on. It was actually that introspection because you're right. As I was working on these things, that word wasn't utilized. <laughs> it wasn't utilized at all. In fact, most people, their end game for or end objective to move the needle on culture isn't the culture per se. It's the sustainability of the business or it's the ability to um, reach their strategic objectives in an easier manner. It's those aspects where people are be- 
become interested in that topic. And it was interesting because at first I thought these were fluffy and squishy topics because most of the mainstream media makes it make it sound like that, to be honest. And that's why I think the definition of culture, at least my favorite definition of it, is not about what the rituals of a, of a particular geographical area is, because once we start defining culture in that manner, then it becomes very difficult to, for it to tie into productivity. My favorite definition of culture is actually what a group of people believe to be acceptable and unacceptable behavior. And the reason why I think that definition is so profound is number one, it does, it does count for, it does respect what other people believe in terms of what culture is, but then there is a very visible tie into productivity. Yeah. Now, if we take a step back and try to think, okay, I can see how, what, a group of people believe to be acceptable behavior or unacceptable behavior ties into productivity. Let me ask you, how do you move the needle on that? Can you move the needle on that simply by telling people, I want you to, I want you to believe X, Y, and Z. I want you to move in a way that is healthy to the culture. Do you think that's really going to come together that way? Of course not. <laughs> yeah. So, so now you're getting into, again, some of the art and, and, you know, your point about it being, you know, you know, squishy and touchy feely sometimes and those kind of things. It is something that sometimes leaders want to shy away from. I actually had it had an experience. Um, a, a, uh, I, I know somebody who is a, a CEO really focused on driving culture in the organization and he, he was CEO of a, of a division and somebody came in charge of the whole company and and basically told him I don't want to you know this guy told him I don't want him I don't want you ever to talk about culture again where you know we, we had just have numbers to hit and after a while it was just too heavy and the culture throughout the whole organization was actually shifting there's always a culture it's a question of do you have the culture you want and I think you only get the culture you want by clarifying what you're looking for clarifying the belief systems clarifying all that stuff and then being obsessive obsessive about maintaining it, which means having the right people in the organization getting wrong people out. In this particular example, um, the, the guy that came in that um, that said they didn't care about culture um, ended up having a highly toxic organization. The, the, the divisional CEO I knew um, ultimately left the company and he's having great success where he is now. And the I, I, the stories I hear, I know a lot of people now have left this, this the, what I'll call the master organization and just about how, how toxic it was because they stopped focusing on, on such a thing. I think it's really important, but you can't just say what your beliefs are. You have to you have to provide them with experiences that support what you say because I've seen that as well. I've seen people talk about the culture they want, but then they go out and they act contrary to that, and that creates a conflict in some of the people in the organization. Oh, absolutely! I wholeheartedly agree, and that's why I think it's important to understand how to actually move the needle on it in terms of both in terms of the tactical approach for it, and I found that. I found that there's typically three root causes for organizations who even even though they say that they want a certain culture struggle in achieving it. The first one is if there are widespread distrust and wounds that need to be healed, that actually needs to be addressed first. And there's a few pillars that I've found to be very effective in achieving that. The first one is what I like to call alignment rhythms. Now, a lot of organizations, they have a lot of meetings, top-down meetings on in terms of what the directives or what the tactics of the approach are. But there's very, but then many organizations actually forget on the rhythms that can achieve alignment. Now, one, for the sake of time, I'll probably just talk about one of them, for instance, okay? Like, yeah, for okay. Instance, I, love, I love this whole concept, by the way, because I believe, uh-huh. to me, the concept of utilizing rhythms is a very left brain thing, but it's something I drive as well. I think rhythms are very important to driving. So I'm really, I'm curious. Go ahead. Sorry for the interruption. Oh, absolutely. Well, let's just talk about one, for instance, okay? 
one-on-ones is something I picked up from technology companies, which is very a common practice among some progressive technology companies. It's a time that's set out in the put into your schedule where you just talk about things outside of the um, day-to-day work. And it's really important because even if you have the best intentions and the utmost respect for other people, you forget because you've got a lot of other things going on. So I want to, I want to pause for a minute and, and I want to emphasize the point An alignment rhythm is time you set aside to talk about things outside the work. And I think that reinforces, you know, a lot of people have written about trust. Patrick Lencioni, you know, the five dysfunctions of a team trust is the basis of the pyramid. There's been a lot of other great things written about it. And Truthfully, getting to know somebody on a little more of a personal basis allows for more empathy, which can allow for more trust. And if I'm hearing correctly, that's what you're prescribing. And I think that can be very uncomfortable for a left brain person. Oh, absolutely. It was very uncomfortable for myself. And at the same time, if you're not used to doing things this way, the other person can feel very awkward as well, too. But I've found that consistency and repetition is very critical because at a certain point, people start dropping down their guards and go, wait a minute, this is not a dangerous space. This is a space for myself. And I find that there's five things I like to hit on on these one-on-ones. The first one is what's going on in life. <laughs> the second one is, um, is do they know whether they're doing a good job? Now we think that, is self-explanatory, but you'll be surprised at how many people don't know whether they're doing a good job or not. The third one is access to tools. Even if there's tools blatantly in front of them, oftentimes people don't know, and just having a transparent conversation about that can be very rewarding. The fourth one is their strengths and weaknesses in terms of an honest discussion about that, because it gives room for development, both in terms of personal and in terms of professional. The fifth one is what are their aspirations? Now, I find that when you hit these topics in the one-on-ones, it tends to, you tend to deepen the relationship as well too, especially in today's uh, workforce environment where where retention and loyalty mean so much more than it used to in the past. These are just some of the ways we can build that. It, it's, it's such, it's such a, a great set of points there. And, you know, these are the important questions. It's amazing how often one-on-ones become about the work they're doing in that moment. And they don't go to a, they don't go to a higher level. And, and the other part of it is, is, is when you even mention strengths and weaknesses, the, the, point you made is honest feedback. You know, do they know how they're doing? Do they know what their strengths and weaknesses are? Do they know these things? That concept of honesty, you know, Jack Welch would, um, would, would use the word candor, right? It's about being candid. It's, it is one of the greatest gifts you can give. And sometimes it's uncomfortable because it requires you to, um, it requires you to even get vulnerable with him at the moment, but that is one of the best ways to build trust. And the key is, is, is nobody's ever saying that you have to be mean. Sometimes people equate, you know, giving an honest truth about poor performance. Oh, I, I don't want to be mean to them. It's not about being mean and you shouldn't be mean in the process, but that honesty is incredibly, incredibly important. Oh, absolutely. And the funny thing is, even if you have the utmost respect for people, you forget. So just by having it in the schedule, it's it's nice because it puts in reminders to do these things. It really does. Time is flying. So we're already up on our our next break. Um, So everyone, we're going to continue this conversation. We're going to hear the uh, the two other root causes as soon as we get back. So stay tuned. I'll be back with Alex Kim in just a couple of minutes. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. True results happen where culture meets execution. The Execution Culture, co-written by our host, Chris Elias, is designed to make your company smarter, faster, and stronger by sharing real-world advice on culture, leadership, and execution. It's time to transform your business with the help of the Execution Culture. The book is available now on Amazon. Click the link on the show page. 
Is your company or team struggling to achieve the results you would like? Optimize your life, your team, and your organization through clarity, purpose, and action. At Mexicute, we have over 100 years of combined experience leading organizations and coaching individuals to achieve their vision. We design a customized approach to ensure successful execution and optimize your results. Connect better. Grow better. For a free consultation with Chris Elias, visit nexecutegroup.com. That's N-E-X-E-C-U-T-E group.com. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. This is Transformative Experts with Chris Elias. If you have a question or a comment about the show, please send an email to listener at transformativeexperts.com. Now, back to Transformative Experts. And we're back one last time with Alex Kim. So, Alex, um, we were we were talking about the three root causes um, that 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 can really you know hold back companies and developing their culture and getting the culture that they want. And we were on this first one, which is about widespread mistrusts and wounds, the wounds that people have. Um, you know, so I, I want to make sure I don't sell it short. I know that the, that we were kind of mid mid conversation when we broke here a couple minutes ago. So, um, just I want to open it back up. We were we were leaving off with the importance of good solid one on ones. Absolutely. So the next point that I wanted to hit regarding the first root cause in terms of of making sure that we address any widespread distrust of wounds first is how we approach management and leadership ourselves. And there are many situational day-to-day moments where we can actually approach things differently. Now, I'm just going to throw out one scenario, something that we may relate to as left-brain leaders is the fact that we're oftentimes in our position because we know what needs to be done. We're good at our jobs. So that being said, when we see an issue, we see what needs to be done from a mile away. So when a situation does escalate to you, isn't our natural instinct to just tell them what needs to be done? Now, I found that in the long run, that's actually counterintuitive. In the short term, it bridges any uh, issues right off the bat. But I've come to learn that in the long run, it actually is harmful. And the reason why is because now you just created a dependence on people on you to solve every issue. I've come to learn that as long as we encourage ideas and it's going the right general direction and we collaborate on that, it tends to work better in the long run, even if their idea is less elegant than yours. And that one's really important. And the reason why that's the case, because they know their idea inside and out throughout the course of their work, curveballs are going to be thrown at them. And yeah. they go with whatever you prescribe them, all the permutations regarding it. Guess what? They won't know what to do with it, and they're going to freeze. It, it's it's another great point because, um, you know, I've often coached people said, look, you know, if they can get to the answer, do I really care how they get to it? As long as it's legal and within the guidelines of the company, those kind of things, right? Not everybody's going to do things exactly the same as you. And I think we, we do get hung up on our way is the best, our way is the fastest. But but what you're describing is what I describe as an investment mentality in your people. It's getting there. You know, the, the, the concept of doing the work for them, the managing, the telling them what to do, at the end of the day, that's actually easier for them because they don't have to think in those scenarios. All they have to do is do just whatever, you know, hey, this is what Andrew said to do. This is what what um, what we're supposed to be doing here. And um, that is that is dangerous. It, it creates a situation we call delegating up because now they know next time, oh, I'm just going to go ask Andrew what to do and he's going to tell me. And if it goes great, great. And if it doesn't go great, well, I just did what Andrew told me. There's no risk in it for me. But getting them to think, getting them to act is what does allow us to break that bottleneck and move an organization forward. 
Oh, absolutely. And it does feel uncomfortable at first, especially when you're going with an idea that has some holes that you see it and less elegant than yours. But I really have found that in the long run, as long as it's going in the right general direction, mm-hmm. and it might need some guard, it might require some guidance if it's, if it's completely off, but as long as it's going in the right general direction, their idea outperforms in the long run because they, they, can handle the curveballs that are thrown at them and adapt their idea ideas as their day-to-day situations occur. And not only that, it deepens the relationship between you and them because now there is a collaborative coaching environment. And at the same time, that's what builds retention. That's what builds loyalty. And that's what builds engagement. So even these day-to-day situations is definitely important. Yes, yes. Right. And here's the other thing regarding that um, dealing with the widespread uh, wounds. It's the fact that if we're not used to doing things in this manner, we do have to be prepared to help facilitate the expectations on the, cha- on the change. It's because any time something seems different, people are going to have some fear or stress regarding it. So that means we need to be patient and continuously educate along the importance of this, because especially if we haven't been doing things this way from the beginning, people will feel the change. And so we also have to be uh, change managers in that aspect as well, too. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's, we've often said the hardest psychological leap to make is giving up control, right? Especially if you've built your company, you've been the answer person, that leap of giving up control is psychologically the hardest leap you have to make in your business. And probably the second hardest leap is if you're on the other side of the equation, it's, 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 it's accepting control, right? Because up until that point, if you've worked for a controlling manager, type person, you've not had to think for yourself. And now thinking for yourself creates some level of risk. Um, One of the things that I like about what you're saying and and so important is it's in those conversations that you build the trust. Mm -hmm. So absolutely. So I'm going to ask you a hard question now. What happens when you have that person that just can't get there? Well, you know, it, it, so, so we know that, that there is this whole part about driving your culture, but you don't always have the right people in your organization. Have you ever experienced a situation where you've tried really, really hard to, um, to get somebody to that point of thinking for themselves, delegating and enhancing, and just couldn't get there? And what do you have to do in that situation? Well, absolutely. Well, first of all, I just want to uh, let people know that there are a lot of the situations we can flip around given the right set of approach to it. Not every situation, though, that you're right in that. And sometimes certain, certain hurdles are so big for them to overcome. And we do need to look at both the, their skill and their will in that manner. Okay. I like to give people the benefit of the doubt. I try to work with them on that manner. Okay. And I do try to educate on why that, why I need them to, I need them to tell me what needs to be done in term. If a situation is brought up without just telling me what's being brought, what's being, what the issue is, have a solution in mind. And, and in that manner, we can work around that solution. Again, not everybody is going to buy into this approach. I, I do give it a good, solid effort, but when it really doesn't work, perhaps it might not be a right fit. Yeah. And the reason why I talk about that is because I'm also a realistic person as well, too. And especially if we're trying to transform in an organization, perhaps we have to be realistic when, when there are bad apples who just who refuse, it might be difficult to, uh, to create the environment that we want. Yeah. And you know, you just said right fit. And, and that's something that I want to emphasize with our listeners as well. It's not a judgment on whether or not a person's a good or bad person. That's not what we're judging here in these scenarios. What, what the question comes down to is, are they a good or a bad fit for our organization? Because, you know, that, 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 that occasion where you have somebody who's not a good fit, 
um, my a friend of mine, Susan Scott, another author, um, you know, she always she used the term "free up their future," and she meant it. You know, sometimes you free up their future, it gives them the opportunity to go somewhere else, and if they find a place where they are a good fit, they're actually going to be happier as well in the long run. But this concept of fit is very, very important. Uh, before we run out of time, though, I, I, you know, we we talked about there being three root causes. Was there anything else you wanted to highlight on this one? This is really good, um, but I, I don't want to sell short if we can get to the other two before we have to wrap. Sure. The other ones will be a bit a bit quicker. The second root cause is that the organization needs to be structured to allow this new workforce to thrive. And this comes both from the HR aspects of it and also the business units. Now, in terms of the HR aspects, a lot of companies, they have what we call like a customer experience journey in order to really optimize and and tweak the little things to really optimize the experience for the customer. But do we have that for the employees as well too? Simply by doing an exercise and looking at their journey of how they come to learn about the company in terms of how they onboard and integrate and and get uh, aligned with the company, you can actually learn a lot of things about it. So I encourage companies to look at that aspect. The other one is business business units and its ops. Now we actually talked about it a little bit in the beginning of our conversation when we talked about uh, some examples with customer service. Now, a lot of our processes might be a little outdated in terms of excessive, excessive information and instructions very detailed to account for every situation. Now, I've come to learn that that can actually be counterintuitive in terms of developing the desired culture that we want because there's very little room for feedback, self-expression, and coaching. In fact, I like to give the analogy of the, tra- of the transition that we made from a traditional MP3 player to an uh, iPod. Now, I'm not advocating making everything simpler and dumbed down. What I'm saying is we've got to make it more user-friendly because the iPod was also an engineering model, a marvel. But what it was, it was more elegant in its design, but it was also a lot more user-friendly. That's why it did so much better with an eye and a perspective of looking at our processes in that manner. Perhaps we can find opportunities in that area as well, too. Yeah, and so for for all leaders out there, whether left brain or right brain, um, you're touching on something that's important. When when the innovators dilemma came out, Clayton Christensen wrote the book. You know, he talked about this concept of creating a market disruption, and and this is a, a good example story here. And and the fact that that we're talking about taking a look at your ops and business processes, et cetera. People have come to believe in, in, in recent years that, that disruption means coming up with something completely new that dis- disrupts a market and nobody else can do it. And Whereas I, I guess that could happen. More often than not, the disruption that occurs is in the simplification and availability. The iPod's a great example because I, I believe from the story, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, that even with the elegant design, it wasn't so much the iPod that created disruption as it was iTunes which is the first marketplace that made it easy to get um, MP3s and those kind of things. It was it was the direction, but but it was in that whole open your mind up to a whole new business model, you know, that wasn't necessarily a new product, but a simplification in this particular case that that drove major disruption. Oh, absolutely! If you really look at the pieces that moved together, it wasn't dumbing it down. No, it was it was a, no. it was a beautiful beautiful. Um, amalgamation of a lot of moving pieces that made in a very simplified manner that made it work very well. Yes. Uh, and besides that data becomes more transparent. People become, people can actually benchmark themselves and talk about solutions that they wouldn't otherwise have access to. So it opens up the conversations that we have as well too. Yeah, and so um, we've got just a couple of minutes left. I have one more quick question, then I want to make sure we have your contact information for everyone. But, um, you know, culture, you know, it's not just training people, but but you can solve a lot of problems by hiring the right people to begin with. Um, you know, w- when it comes to interviewing 
Um, I'm, I'm sure you've gotten to the stage where you don't just hire anybody with a resume. You're, you're also looking for fit to your culture. You have any secrets or, or one or two quick points you might make? If, if, if we've got another leader who's interviewing, how do you find somebody who's a good fit for your culture? Well, first of all, that uh, I used to look at people in terms of whether they could do what I, what I do and copy and paste it or in terms of the number of experiences or the skill sets, I find that that is an incomplete picture of it. In fact, one of the major transitions and paradigm shifts I had to make was the fact that as a business owner, I was willing to go through any hurdles in order to stabilize my situation, including my weaknesses. Now here's the thing, if we only hire people similar to me, they're likely not going to be willing to overcome those exact same weaknesses with the same degree of burn the boat approach. I'm, I don't know if you're aware of that analogy is when, uh, when, yeah. <laughs> yes, uh, I, don't, I don't know if people will be willing to approach it with the same burn the boat approach, but rather if we seek different strengths and we strengths within individuals and different skill sets, we know what are the gaps within our team and becoming open to it. For instance, if someone is, a, is amazing at generating leads, I want to know, I, I'm interested in that person. Now, however, because that's not my original um, skill set, I'm, I'm more logical. Now, one thing I've come to realize is I need to be better at at integrating such balanced perspectives because I've come to learn that people, when they're different, there's more tension that exists between them. So that means if we really want to make this work, we as managers and leaders need to be more skilled in terms of integrating such people. So what I look for is that balance and perspective. I look, look at it as an opportunity to strengthen the team, number one, not to fill a position, to strengthen the team. Yeah. And number two, I look at the aspect, can I realistically integrate this person <laughs> within the team? <laughs> no, that's, that's, that's outstanding. We are, unfortunately, to the end of our time. You know, hopefully we can have you back sometime. We've been batting around maybe some panel discussions, some other things. So, so we'll definitely, uh, you know, see about having you back on, Andrew. But uh, before yeah. we go, um, I, I want to recap. The, so, so the book, the current book i don't know if there's another one but it's it's culture for the left brain leader is it available it's available on amazon and in a number of other places yes uh, you can find most people find it on amazon again it's called culture for the left brained leader and uh i enjoy talking about these topics as you can see so some people ask how how to reach out to me yep. and you can find me on linkedin as andrew yj kim you can also email me at andrew at cultureandstrategy.com. Also, you can find you can find us at our website, www.cultureandstrategy.com. So um, so it's C-U-L-T-U-R-E-N-S-T-R-A-T-E-G-Y. So it's the letter N, not not the word and. So yes, culture and N. strategy. Dot com. Uh, excellent. You know, thank you so much for being with us today. Um, looking forward to more conversations. Reach out to Andrew if you've got any questions. You, uh, you can always reach out through us as well. So you guys know how to find me. And um, I'm glad all of you were able to join us today. Stay tuned. We've got another great show coming up next week. Thanks again for being with us. Thank you for joining Chris Elias for this week's edition of Transformative Experts. We hope you'll tune in again next Monday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time and 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. And catch our weekly replay on the Voice America Influencers Channel, Sundays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time. Have a good week.